You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Uh, we're in the second week of a mini-series where we're trying to tackle an entire book of the Bible over a couple different weeks, over a few weeks. And uh, we're studying the book, the book of Ruth. Everybody say the book of Ruth. And the, the uh, title or the uh, subtitle is Hope in the Hurting. Hope in the Hurting. And that's certainly what we want to be uh, uh, highlighting week in and week out throughout this series. But when you look at that tagline, uh, for some of us and for some of you, it may be difficult for you to believe that there is really hope in the hurting, that the best is yet to come. For some of you, you hear that and you're thinking, that's just a cheesy tag to the story of Ruth. Some of you are thinking that's just hype, it's unrealistic, it gives false hope, it's too good to be true. Now don't raise your hand, but I can imagine that there are some here this morning with that impression in your mind. But I want to just encourage you that even the characters in the story of Ruth, if they would have seen a tagline like hope in the hurting or the best is yet to come, they would have felt the same way because of the situation that they found themselves in. They would have felt exactly like some of you do. And so I want to encourage you, and we can't encourage them, but to reserve judgment to get this story inside of you over the next few weeks. We've asked you to read it and to reread it each week, the entire book of Ruth. How many of you got into the book of Ruth this week a little bit? All right, excellent, a, a bunch of you, that's good. And we want you not only to read it, we want you to be experiencing the book of Ruth. And my prayer is that we as a congregation are going to look back on this uh, short series on this fall of 2017. And there are going to be some barriers that have been broken. We're going to have a better understanding of who God is. We're going to see God at work in each and every one of our lives. Plus, the challenge, especially this morning, is going to be to be a blessing to someone else's life. And you'll see how that unfolds. This story, this incredible story has layers, there's depth here, there's texture in it, there's a richness, and, uh, and I believe, again, that it's going to make a difference, and it already is, I believe, in many, many people's lives. So last week, we dived in to Ruth chapter 1, and we looked at the idea that there was this famine in the land, and that Elimelech uh, took things into his own hands. He walked away from God's people, he walked away from the truth, he walked away from the blessing of God. He left wisdom at the door. Uh, he leaves Bethlehem, which, by the way, Bethlehem means the place of bread, right? How ironic is that? He leaves the people of God. He leaves the provision of God, and he goes to what city, if you were with us last week? Moab. That's right. He goes to Moab. And the result for Elimelech, in many ways, it mirrors what Proverbs 16, 25 says. Turn with me there, just real quick. Proverbs 16, verse 25. 16, 25 says, There is a way that seems or appears to be right, 
but in the, le- the end, it leads to destruction or to death. And that's what happened for Elimelech. He walked away from God in many ways, and there was a, a whole series of misfortunate things that happened. It's the exact opposite of what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge or submit to Him. And what happens? Then our paths will be made straight. Church, we cannot, we should not take things into our own hands. We need to continually submit to what God is doing. And so in the story, we see that Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law, right? Uh, Ruth and Orpah and Naomi, the three of them. And last week, we also studied that Naomi couldn't understand how God would allow a famine and uh, death to her husband, death to her two sons, and all this misfortune. Uh, Naomi blamed God, essentially, just like a lot of people do in today's day, even within the church. But was God to blame? We talked about this last week. It's a good question. I would say that no, God was not to blame. But then you say, well, why all the misfortune? Last week we talked about two things quickly, and I went through one a little bit more in depth, and then the other I just kind of skimmed by. I want to circle back to that just briefly. We talked about the discipline of God, that like a children who is loved, that child is disciplined appropriately when they mess up. And God, He loves us so much uh, that He will discipline us when we mess up or when there's sin in our lives. And He does that for redemptive purposes. And part of the misfortune may have been caused by Elimelech's decision to walk away from God. And that's certainly part of it. We talked about that. The other part, and uh, it certainly was at play as well, is that we live in a sinful world. And there's consequences of others that we have no control over. A great example, is, I mentioned last week a drunk driver, but another example is a mother who was, uh, was pregnant and maybe uh, using drugs of some sort. And it affects the kid within the womb, and when the kid is born, is it the kid's fault that there's learning disabilities or other things that have gone on that aren't normal? No, of course not. But there's consequences to the sin or to the problems that happen in the mother. You get what I'm saying? And in this case, was God to blame? I don't think so. But today, just like Naomi, a lot of people ask questions of God. Where were you, God, when I lost my job? Right? Or where were you, God, when cancer hit? Or where were you, God, when I couldn't pass the exam? Or where were you during the accident? Or where were you during the storm, like Harvey or Irma or things like that? And these are questions that we all ask at one point or another. And in the story, Naomi is angry and frustrated and bitter. She goes back to Bethlehem and she says, Don't call me Naomi, which meant pleasant. She said, Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And that's exactly where she was. But even though she was bitter, we saw last week that even though she was in this bad place, 
and I would say even theologically, her understanding of God was in the wrong place. Naomi does something right. She takes a step in the right direction. She turned back to the blessing. She says, I'm going back to God's people, to God's country. And today, if you're here today, and you make that decision in your life to turn back, if you decide to step back after you've kind of walked away, I want you to know that there's a place of blessing and God, he wants to move you in that direction. I want to just challenge you to look and see what God would do if you turn back towards the Lord. Now, people were shocked in the story in Ruth chapter 1 to see Naomi. And uh, I'm just kind of giving you this backdrop again for those that weren't here. But listen, at the end of chapter 1, there was a little glimpse of hope. In fact, turn with me there to Ruth chapter uh, 1, verse 22. It says, So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. And then look at the glimmer of hope here. It said, Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And what we see, we see a churn. We see a, uh, a, a shift in the, in the heavenlies, so to speak. And God, he's at work in Naomi and Ruth's life. Now, today we're going to kind of continue in the story. We're going to venture into chapter 2. And we were going to be introduced to the characters of Boaz and Ruth. And they will continue to be developed throughout the book. But what I want you to see for today is that we're dealing with two single adults here, Boaz and Ruth, both single. And in that day and age, that would have been very uncommon. Now, in today's day and age, it was doing a little digging, uh, over half of the adult population in the United States is single. And so today, it's not as uncommon, but in that day and age, it would have been uncommon. And what we're going to see emerge, and we see glimpses of that today, but really not till 3 and 4, uh, chapters 3 and 4, but we see a love story that's kind of on its way. But before we get to the love story, we've got to understand uh, chapter 2 is all about the providence of God. You say, what's the providence of God? I mentioned it last week in, uh, at the end of the message. It's the idea that God quietly and subtly is at work in our lives. The big picture for us today, the idea is really this theological idea that God is at work and it's called the providence of God, that God is behind the scenes and that he supernaturally is at work on our behalf. The providence of God. It's a supernatural work. You say, well, I know about the supernatural work of God when it comes to miracles, right? Where, you know, something in the natural is suspended or accelerated. Someone's raised from the dead or parting of the waves or healing of the sick. But there's another supernatural part of the work of God, and it's called the providence of God or the providential work of God, where things seem to be normal, but God uses ordinary uh, things in our lives, and he brings things about to accomplish his will. It's the providence of God. Is it coincidence? Is it accidental? Absolutely not. Romans 8, 28, we looked at that verse last week just briefly. Uh, it says, for all things, right? For we know all things 
And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. We see a similar idea in Psalm 37, 23, that says the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who he delights in or who delights in him. God at work in every detail, big and small. And I hope you believe it because it's true. And we're going to see it unfolded here in Ruth, in the story of Ruth. If you're not there already, turn to Ruth chapter 2, and we'll look at the first three verses together to get us going. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan, clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, you say, well, what's going on here? In the first three verses, we see Naomi out in a field, and what she's doing, she is gleaning behind the normal workers in a field. It was something that was required or uh, suggested by the law. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. This was the law. It says, when you are harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that your hands find to do. And so it's this idea that Ruth is out in a field. She is working hard. This was back-breaking work. One by one, taking the leftover barley or wheat stalks and collecting them. At the end of the day, then they would have to uh, take those and they would thresh the, the, the wheat out or the, the barley out. They would take the good part and discard the rest. They would do this for six days a week, for four months to get a year's worth uh, to live on. This was hard work. It was from sunup to sundown. And now a lot of things are going on here, but, and, and we see that Ruth is working, but what I want to... Uh, put our attention to this morning is the phrase that comes in this little section. It says in the middle of verse 3, as it turned out, as it happened, Ruth is picking up scraps, believing God for favor, and then we see God at work, but we, I want you to know that, God, that not only is God at work, but Ruth is at work as, as well. She needed food, She's not watching her favorite show on TV or on cable, or she's not going to the movies or the coffee shop. She's not on Facebook or on Instagram or Pinterest, although if if she had Pinterest, she'd probably be on it. Ruth was working. She was doing. And then it says, as it turned out. As it turned out, verse 4 comes, it says, just then, Boaz, everybody say Boaz, arrives on the scene. Just so happened. Boaz, by the way, is a big deal. Back in verse 1, it says, it kind of describes Boaz as a man of, of standing. 
The idea there is that he's a man of influence. He would have been a wealthy man. He was kind of a man's man. And uh, we're going to see as the, the story goes on that Boaz was a man of worship and he was a God follower for sure. He was kind and gracious and generous and uh, he was a good boss, by the way. Uh, and I just want to say, uh, you know, uh, for all the single ladies that are here, um, Boaz was marriage material. OK, uh, Rachel, uh, when you're thinking about your future, you need to find a Boaz, okay? And, uh, and I just, you know, I'm just, you know, caring for you. And, um, and I'm just telling you. And at the first greeting, you know, there's this prayer, even in verse 4, kind of a blessing. Uh, let's look at it. It says that just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvest. He says, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answer. So they were used to kind of shouting blessings or prayers back and forth. Does that sound like any of your bosses? <laughs> uh, uh, maybe, maybe not. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, for those of us that are employees, there's something about being a Boaz, right? The idea, how are you blessing your team? I really appreciated Joe Lalonde uh, a few weeks ago on Labor Day. Uh, he put out a blog or a, a, a video greeting, uh, encouraging uh, those that, that are working, that have a company. He says, how are you taking care of your, of your employees? And uh, Joe, your little uh, two-minute snippet there encouraged me. The next day, I took our whole staff out. I said, man, I want to bless these guys. And uh, it was your encouragement. But that kind of idea, uh, Joe Lalonde was onto something. Uh, Boaz understood he would care for his employees. But in verse 4, back to the main point, it says, just then Boaz arrived. And then it was not only that, Ruth must have been close by because he notices Ruth. Look at it, verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? So just then, Boaz shows up. Just then, Ruth is within uh, the vision of where he's noticing there's someone out of place. Verse 6 goes on, says the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. Ruth said uh, to, to the overseer, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Say, all right, wow, what's going on here? Ro um, Boaz calls her over. And then, uh, so we see a little bit of Ruth's character uh, already emerging. She's a hard worker, up in the morning, working all day. But then we're going to get a picture of Boaz, his character here. Verse 8, we'll see it. It says, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. What we see here is Boaz. He doesn't go after her. His motives here are pure. He's not out to get something. He is just a godly guy. He's a godly man who's protecting a widow. He's providing for a widow. 
and Ruth is really in the, in the perfect plan of God at this point, and she doesn't even realize it. Verse 10, it says, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Now, there's a couple things. Ruth, number one, is humble in this circumstance, which is important. But she's also smart. She understands the situation she's in, the vulnerable situation. She's vulnerable in a foreign land. In this particular case, she's sweaty, been working half the day. She's broke, has no finances. She lives with a bitter mother-in-law, and her situation is less than flattery. Are you with me? But something happens here. Ruth, because of her character, because of her story that goes before her, Boaz recognizes who she is. Let's look at it. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz understands or has heard about Ruth's story. He had heard about her character. And we also see how a godly man thinks here about a widow or about the future. Boaz is interested in Ruth's character. And then the story continues. Verse 13, may I continue uh, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, Ruth said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have uh, the standing of one of your servants. So she's saying, look, I'm lower than even one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some, roast, uh, some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some leftover. As she got up to glean again, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundle and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. Now, this is a cool story. This is neat what Boaz does, but I want to pause here for a moment. Because the love story is just starting to blossom, just starting just in the very, very early stages. And, uh, but what I want you to see, it's done in a godly way. And I know we've got a lot of singles here. And uh, what I want to, to talk to first are the single men that are here. If you're single and you're a guy, just wave at me here quick for a second, all right? And I know we got some, and I'm talking, yes, even you guys on the front row, uh, some of you young guys. And the question I want to ask the guys is, guys, what kind of girl do you want to marry? What kind of girl do you want to marry? This is important for the singles that are here. A caring, humble, someone devoted to the Lord, someone with a good work ethic. And I'm talking to my son, right? Sun up to sundown, she's out. She's taking the initiative, and we're going to see that Ruth, her character, is impeccable. One commentator said, rather than dating, relating, and fornicating, 
this broke woman worshipped and worked and was waiting on God. I like that. The same commentator says there's a lot of young men that they look for the outward appearance first. And they'll say to, his, to this guy, they'll say, hey, but she's so hot. And, he, and uh, this commentator said, yes, then I remind them that hell is hot too. And uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, that's a good point, right? And so, so guys, you want a lady like Ruth, right? Now what about the girls, single ladies? Come on, let me see your hands. I know there's a few. Come, all right, you're not even raising your hands, but that's okay. Ladies, girls, what kind of guy do you want to marry? All right? You want to marry a kind man, someone that's prayerful. And by the way, Boaz prays a prayer in verse 13, and then he is the answer to his own prayer in, in verses 14 through 16. He takes care of, of Ruth. And, uh, but we see a man that's protective, that's caring, who has pure motives, who loves God, right? And we see a generous man uh, giving three to four months worth, we're going to see, 30 to 50 pounds of grain Ruth in one day takes back. And you'll see Naomi's like, what in the world? I ran across this. There's three types of men in the world. There are takers, those that feel entitled, that they think this is mine. There are debtors in the world that, that say, well, you can have this, but you owe me now. But then there are givers, like Boaz, who is generous, and there's a sense of generosity. And I just want to say, girls, you want to be like Ruth, and guys, you want to be like Boaz. That'll preach, and that's a whole other message in itself, but I thought, man, we got to get that in here, right? And uh, so anyway, all right, back to Ruth chapter 2. <laughs> it's just fun. Uh, it's verse 17. Let's finish the chapter quick. It says, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted uh, to about an ephah, and that is a ton of grain. That is 30 to 50 pounds. That's uh, two to three months worth of work. Uh, in one day. I mean, she's blessed because of Boaz. She carried it back to town. Can you even imagine? And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what was left over uh, from what she had not eaten. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one who placed, whose place uh, she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. And, the, and uh, Naomi says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And we'll talk about that next week in particular. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, even, or he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman in, uh, of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. That's two or three months, maybe four months. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And again, we see this big picture story. What is happening? 
we see the invisible hand of God at work in Ruth and Naomi's lives. And it all happened because Naomi decided to go back to God's people. She would have said, man, I don't understand what God has done. And I may never understand, but she makes it back to Bethlehem and all of these things emerge. Now, what can we learn here? We can learn that God is good and that he does not make mistakes. We can also see that God is at work supernaturally. It's the providence of God. Think about all of the as-it-turned-out things that happened. As it turned out, Ruth and Naomi make their way back to Bethlehem. As it turns out, it's the barley season. As it turns out, Ruth goes out to glean in a field whose owner is Boaz. As it turned out, Boaz pulls up. As it turns out, he had already heard about Ruth. And on and on and on it goes. All of these things. Naomi chapter one, uh, in chapter 1 was convinced that, di- that God did not care, but God showed her otherwise in chapter 2. And today you may be convinced. There may be many of us here today that you're convinced that God doesn't notice you. Nothing could be further from the truth. God knows exactly where you are. He knows the biggest and the smallest details of your lives. And there's three things that I think you've got to know. And the first one relates to what we talked about last week, that wherever you are, if you're away from the Lord in some way, or you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, you need to come back to the Lord. You need to find Jesus as your Savior. You need to stop taking things in your own hands, number one. The second thing you've got to know is that God cares for you. Not because you're so great. Think about it. Naomi was bitter. (laughs) Ruth was a new believer at best, but God cared for them. And in the same way, God cares for you, and he cares for me. He knows right where you are. But the third thing that emerges here in chapter 2 is that God is at work even when you can't see it. For Naomi, she couldn't see it till the end of chapter 2 of what was going on. And for some that are here, you may say, well, that sounds good, or it even sounds maybe too good to be true. Or you might say things like, well, I wish I could just see it. If I could just see it in my day, or if I could see it in my life, then I might believe that God was at work. But like Pastor Bobby said in worship, maybe God seems distant or quiet. Well, there's a story that emerged this week that I want to share with you. It happened right here at the Gateway Church with one of our single dads. One of our single dads, it, it just so happened that someone in our church found out that this guy had a new job, and in the job, his five-year-old daughter needed child care just from 5.30 to 6.30 in the morning. And the job was been pretty gracious, but they had given him one week to figure it out. Otherwise, he was going to lose his job. Uh, in fact, I'll just say, Mark Wiggins, you're the one that turned us on to this. Uh, it just so happened that Pastor Bobby and I, we get a text from Mark Wiggins. 
that describes this man's situation. And it just so happened that uh, Mark's friend, Lori, was made the connection. It just so happened that, uh, that I was studying the book of Ruth this week and looking and praying for an example, saying, God, what are you doing in our midst? Or what could we see? Where could our congregation see the work of God behind the scenes? It just so happened that when our staff got together and we were collaborating around this idea, saying, what, what could we do behind the scenes? And we thought about single parents, and we thought about Ruth and Boaz both being single. And then we asked ourselves, what, could, what would God do, or what could God do through us behind the scenes? And it just so happened that I was able to make some connections with a fa- another family, and it looks like, very favorable, it hasn't, it's not 100%, but it looks like we found someone to care for this little five-year-old from 5.30 to 6.30, five days a week. And for this single dad, and he'll be here second service, that's the providence of God. That's not the work of the staff. That is God's work moving on people's hearts, doing something behind the scenes, and it's supernatural for this young dad. God was at work this week. You say, well, yeah, that's, that sounds good. Providence of God for a single dad in need. How cool is that? We were praying about it and strategizing as a staff, and, and uh, we were asking, is there something else um, for the single adults and uh, maybe single parents or even single grandparents uh, with school-age kids. And the Lord started to stir our hearts as a staff. And as it turns out, there are about 15 to 20 single parents or grandparents within our church that we're aware of with school-age kids. And as it turned out, the Lord was stirring on our staff in our hearts. And as it turned out, there are people within our church that have given to benevolence to be able to use in certain circumstances that are appropriate. And as it turns out, there are about 20 single parents or grandparents with school-age kids this week that got a gift card in the mail to Meyer. Because what single parent at this time of year doesn't need a little extra? Am I right? And God was at work and in 20 plus stories in the making. And for those of you that are here that received that, see it as God's grace. And if you didn't receive something in the mail and that's your situation, you're a single uh, mom or dad or a single grandparent raising school-aged kids, we want you to see Pastor Bobby after service. And we've got a gift card for you as well. See, what we're seeing here is we get to participate in God's providence in each other's lives. It's God's providence in ordinary people finding hope even when there is hurting. Now, I want to wrap this up this morning and just ask the question, is this coincidence? Is this just accident? Is this manufactured by the staff at the Gateway Church? I don't think so. I believe that mature believers understand that God is at work in 
every detail of our lives. That there's nothing that escapes his attention. There's nothing that happens happenstance. That God is threading his grace through every single detail, every single strand and seam. That there's nothing wasted in our lives. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. Every detail has value and purpose. Do you believe that? I know I do. And for Ruth, the work was grueling, being out in the fields day after day. But she was looking for the favor of God, even in her hard circumstance. Look at it, verse 2. And God was leading her to just the right place to the right field, to Boaz, his field. And my question for us this morning is what field have you landed in right now that's hard? Because it was hard for Ruth. It was hard for Naomi, no question about it. What job or what job list situation have you found yourself in? What class is hard or what relationship is difficult right now? What field have you landed in that's, that's difficult or hard? Can you see the hand of God? For some that are here, there's lack right now in your life. Things might be behind. You may be without a job. You may be struggling in some way. There are those that are here this morning, and you may not even see it on their face, but they're hurting They're in the midst of the pain. And my encouragement is to press in to Jesus. Turn back to the Savior. Keep faithful. Look for favor. Work hard. There is hope. There's hope. Trust Jesus. And some of you are saying, I know, but that sounds so cheesy. Remember, Naomi would have thought the same thing. Naomi would have thought the same thing. But the truth is, the truth of God's word is that there is favor and it's on its way when we turn to him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you, God, that you are a God that does miracles. And Lord, as we're going to sing here in just a moment about your gracious, good work, for those that are hurting, those that are, that are lonely. Lord, our, the place that we need to find ourselves is at the altar, submitted to Jesus. And Lord, I know that there are some here today that they, as they look at their situation, they're in a difficult season, a diff- difficult field. There are others that are, that are experiencing lack for one reason or the other. There are those that are hurting. And God, I just pray that we could breathe a breath of encouragement, a breath of favor all across this place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.